Welcome to the SWIB podcast, where members of the Wisconsin Retirement System can turn for timely information on the investments that help fund the state's pension system. I'm Chris Preisler, Communications Specialist for the State of Wisconsin Investment Board, or SWIB. And I'm Dusty Weiss, producer of the podcast. Investors have been navigating challenging financial markets for the past several years. From stocks to bonds, asset classes have been impacted by high inflation, rising interest rates, and the lingering effects of the pandemic. But were venture capital and private debt investments the exception? Chris Prestigiacomo oversees the State of Wisconsin Investment Board's venture capital and private debt portfolios. Like other portfolio managers, Chris and his team have sought to limit the impact the volatile financial markets have had on his investment strategy while positioning his portfolios for continued success in the future. Today, we're going to talk to Chris about how SWIB's venture capital and private debt portfolios have weathered the market challenges, where the portfolios stand today, and what the future might bring given the current market conditions. The SWIB podcast is a regular opportunity for you to learn more about the people and funds that comprise the Wisconsin retirement system. Please make sure you follow this podcast in your favorite app so you don't miss an episode. Share this podcast with your fellow WRS members and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so it's easier for other members to find this show. Joining us today is Chris Prestigiacomo, SWIB's head of private debt and venture capital. Born and raised in Madison, Chris earned his undergraduate degree in economics and international relations from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and his Master of Business Administration with an accounting concentration from Edgewood College in Madison. He started his career in Madison as a commercial lender for MI Bank for 10 years. He joined SWIB in 2001 to help manage the private debt portfolio. Chris, welcome back. It's a pleasure to have you on the SWIB podcast. Thanks for having me. Chris, you've been a guest on the SWIB podcast before. In fact, it was all the way back in 2020, weird days that those were on episode five of the podcast. I would encourage listeners to uh, go back and check that one out if you haven't already, because there's a lot of great insights there. But for the folks who haven't had an opportunity to hear that episode, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself and the portfolios that you manage at SWIB. It's crazy that it's been three years since my last podcast Given everything that we've gone through over the last three years, it, uh, it definitely feels like an attorney to go. Really nice to be back with you, Dusty. So maybe what, what I'll do is uh, provide a, a bit of a refresh on the two Wisconsin portfolios. So first, the private debt program dates back to the 1960s. This is the private debt portfolio. And at that time, SWIB was really the only public pension plan that was investing in private debt. Since that time, SWIB has been a lender to hundreds of businesses making over $2 billion of loans to companies within the state of Wisconsin. Dozens of current loans in this portfolio are made to businesses that either headquartered in Wisconsin or have operations in Wisconsin. The other thing, too, is we'll work with businesses that intend to invest the proceeds here in Wisconsin. So if it's a business that's maybe located in Pennsylvania, headquartered there, but are maybe putting up a distribution center in Wisconsin somewhere, we would work with that business. So that's the, the private debt portfolio. We also manage a venture capital portfolio that's focused on Wisconsin, and that portfolio was launched in 1999, and we have allocated, invested, committed just over $400 million to early stage funds and companies. And in addition to investing in venture capital funds and and making direct investments in Wisconsin companies, we can also do other things. So a, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll bring our venture managers from around the country to Wisconsin so they can learn more about the state startup community and the networks that we're working in and, and connecting with. And our local startups can talk to these VC managers and they can be helpful in a number of ways. One being maybe investing in the company. So obviously that's a great outcome if one of our maybe coastal managers is investing in a company that's located here in Wisconsin. 
But the other thing that they can do, and because these are very experienced managers, they can offer advice to our companies, maybe make introductions to potential customers, board members, employees. So what we try and do is we try and leverage our broader network to help highlight Wisconsin's early stage ecosystem. So as of today, how much of these portfolios is invested in the state? In regards to the the private debt portfolio, about 60% of the private debt portfolio loans are invested in Wisconsin opportunities. So that's about 40 loans to borrowers either headquartered here or having operations in Wisconsin. And the dollar amount's roughly $300 million. The average loan outstanding per borrower is about $8 million today. On the venture side, we have about $300 million that's committed, invested into funds and in companies directly. And those managers are either located here in Wisconsin or they're spending time here in Wisconsin. The portfolio is committed to 13 venture capital funds, and we have active direct investments in six Wisconsin venture stage companies. Chris, I've always said it's a really cool example of the way the Wisconsin retirement system has an impact beyond just its members and really plays an important part in the business ecosystem of Wisconsin. But why are these portfolios important to SWIB's overall strategy for investing the trust funds of the Wisconsin retirement system? Well, like our peers and other asset managers, you know, SWIB is a global investor and Wisconsin if you didn't know, is part of the globe. So we've always believed that there are good investment opportunities in the state, whether that be in private debt or venture capital. Our primary objective, whether we're investing or lending money to companies in Milwaukee, Madison, LA, San Francisco, or London, is the investment return. So the investments that we're making generate the returns to fund the retirement benefits of our beneficiaries. And that's the priority job one for us. Now, if I find an interesting company, a great management team, or a technology that can generate acceptable rates of return on a risk-adjusted basis, we'll do that. You know, we can't really invest in everything that we see, and we do say no a lot, but we pick our spots of where we think we can generate good returns. On the other side, companies many times use our capital to expand their business. Maybe, you know, the company is looking to put on a new manufacturing facility, Maybe they're looking to make an acquisition or they're developing some new technology to cure cancer. These businesses tend to attract and hire talented people, which help both the local and state economy. Our view is that these opportunities are a win-win, not only for our beneficiaries, but also for the state of Wisconsin. Can you talk a little bit more about how the portfolios fit into the overall private debt and venture capital ecosystems? Yeah, absolutely. So we obviously welcome new investment opportunities that meet the Wisconsin private debt portfolio guidelines. We're actively seeking new investment opportunities by marketing the financing that we provide to Wisconsin businesses. And a lot of times we're collaborating with financial institutions. So we work with a lot of the local Wisconsin banks. If an investment opportunity does not fit the portfolio's criteria, the one thing that we try and do, instead of saying no, we try and work to identify other potential sources of funding for that particular business. And we'll make referrals on behalf of the borrower to maybe a commercial bank, a private equity sponsor, or some other capital source. There are certain instances where we'll actually refer opportunities to the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation. And they have some pretty interesting and creative financing solutions and have a very smart and thoughtful staff and they're willing to help Wisconsin businesses. On the venture capital side, we try and capitalize on the imbalance between the high amounts of uh, research and development that's taking place in the Wisconsin region, the academic and entrepreneurial talent, the low cost operated business within the state, 
And then also, more importantly, the relatively low amounts of venture capital dollars seeking investments in the state. So there's an imbalance of capital there. The combination of lower company valuations, lower costs, the imbalance of capital and high quality entrepreneurs and founders can translate into pretty interesting investment returns. The imbalance of capital that I mentioned really has to do with the time intensive and hands-on attention necessary for each company where a VC is making an investment. We have managers that are spending time here in Wisconsin and they can help with that. So the high cost can be prohibitive for long distance investments, giving an advantage to local investors with established connections to the research that's taking place here and also the business leaders with the skills to build companies that can commercialize this research. From the start, of the venture capital initiative, SWIB has made several direct investments in Wisconsin-based companies, and we've invested in over 20 companies since the portfolio's inception. We've built pretty strong relationships with many of the top-tier venture capital funds. In addition to venture capital investments, we do introduce, as I said before, coastal managers to opportunities here within the state. And over the long term, these types of meetings and introductions should make more funding available for state businesses seeking venture capital. So when people think of venture capital, they usually think of Silicon Valley, the West Coast. How does Wisconsin stack up to the coasts in terms of venture capital dollars flowing into the state? The dollars, obviously, that are invested in the Midwest are, are nowhere near what's invested on the East and the West Coast. But if you look at it over the past five, 10 years, you'll see that capital invested and in flowing into the Midwest, mid-continent is increasing. While we went through a pretty horrible period during COVID, one of the positives that came out of it, in particular around venture, was VCs and VC managers became more comfortable investing remotely, really leveraging their networks across the country to find great entrepreneurs, great companies. While capital is flowing into these kind of underserved, undercapitalized markets, and over time, as I said before, while Wisconsin isn't where the coasts are, we think you know that the trends are, are moving in the right direction. Chris, as we've done this podcast over the past couple of years, obviously we've had discussions about the impact the COVID-19 pandemic had on the financial markets. More recently, we've talked about economic and geopolitical factors that have caused challenges for investors, especially last year and continued this year. One phrase we've heard frequently is that there was nowhere for investors to hide in 2022 as every asset class was impacted. Was that true for venture capital? Uh, nowhere to hide. So <laughs> uh, it was not immune. You know, over the past couple of years, venture has had a roller coaster of a ride. If you think about like pre-COVID, VCs were investing in startups and late stage companies. Let's say in 2018, 2019, dollars into those types of opportunities was about $150 billion per year. Then COVID hit, which kind of caught everybody off guard. And what everybody expected early on was due to the potential economic fallout, plus, you know, no real in-person meetings. Venture managers couldn't take a 10-minute Uber or take a bike ride to go visit with an entrepreneur. A lot of people felt like deals weren't going to get done and VC investing would decline significantly. And, you know, I think that the thought there was probably spot on, right? So global pandemic, you would think no investing, you know, no meetings makes sense, right? But what actually happened was the exact opposite. VCs and entrepreneurs found ways to meet, interact, invest remotely or on distance walks just to learn about each other, learn about the businesses, et cetera. And it was really this new economy, this new technology. And, and think of companies like Zoom and DoorDash. These were businesses that flourished in COVID. 
these were the types of businesses that actually got us through COVID. And these were the types of businesses that were funded. So during COVID, investment activity actually picked up. And, and in fact, it actually doubled in, in 2021 to roughly $300 billion. And then last year was really the milestone change. And that occurred in, in the first quarter. And, and what happened was the Federal Reserve began raising interest rates to kind of curtail inflation. And that really started letting the air out of the venture capital balloon, for a lack of a better term or word, as higher interest rates negatively impacted valuations of high growth and, and unprofitable businesses. I mean, venture-backed companies are unprofitable. They're cash burners. They're growing very, very fast, but they're burning a lot of money. And when interest rates increase, that negatively impacts the valuation. If you fast forward to today, and I think we've had nine, maybe 10 rate hikes, we're in a completely different environment for venture where, where we were in, in 2020 and 2021. In 2022, venture capital investment activity fell about $100 billion from 2021 with deal counts down about 20%. And exit activity was basically non-existent and, and the kind of growth at all costs mentality for startups really changed to cut costs, extend the cash runway, moderate growth, and really try and keep the business healthy and alive to get past the economic slowdown or the recession. And so VCs, our managers, and, and a lot of other managers really turned inward to work more on their their own portfolio companies to make sure that they had the cash, the runway, and the business model to weather the storm. So that's the way that it was going in 2022. Do we see a carryover now in these trends through the first quarter of this year? Yeah, absolutely. The trends in 2022 definitely carried over into the first quarter of this year with further challenges compounded by the failure of Silicon Valley Bank as well as Signature Bank. So for the quarter, capital invested in U.S. companies declined about 10% from the fourth quarter of last year, and it's down 50% from the first quarter of 2022. So pretty, pretty remarkable drop. For the same periods, the deal count declined 20%, and that's as of the fourth quarter, and 60% as of the first quarter of last year. So it's pretty staggering slowdown across all stages. Exits have basically dried up in the first quarter of this year. Quarterly exit value was at its lowest level since 2013. We're not really expecting the IPO window to open up anytime soon. We're thinking probably the, the back end of 2024 is when, when the IPO market opens up. And the challenge of this is that investors think SWIB and other institutional investors need returns and we need that cash so we can fund our mission. The slowdown is impacting the VC's ability to raise new funds, and it's a virtuous cycle or not so virtuous cycle. So following the failure of Silicon Valley Bank in the first quarter of this year, how has the appetite in the venture debt market changed? You mentioned that there's been a slowdown, but is there still a lot of interest? Yeah, so the appetite for venture debt has not gone away. It's really the accessibility of venture debt, which is the issue, so the supply of it. So as of this podcast, we've had four banks that have failed, right? So Silicon Valley Bank's uh, gone under Signature Bank, First Republic, and one bank that everybody forgets about, uh, Silvergate Bank, is one that failed. People always forget about Silvergate, but it's important to, to put out there. And these bank failures have really put a chill on all lending. And in, in particular, Silicon Valley Bank, I mean, that bank specialized in lending to venture-backed technology companies. Silicon Valley Bank has been around for four decades, and they've built a pretty well-known and respected venture-backed company, VC technology practice. 
they bank, I think it's uh, roughly what I've heard is 50% of the technology and life science startup companies in the United States. So they were an extremely important institution here in the, in the U.S. Venture debt annually makes up about 10% of the total venture capital invested. And of that, SVB would typically take up probably 20% of that. So they were a leader in the space. So someone will come in and fill that void, but it's going to take some time, especially with the pullback in the venture capital investment activity. In addition, you know, the history of SVB, their culture, how they underwrite startups, that's going to take time for someone to come in and kind of stand that back up. It's not going to be rebuilt overnight. In the meantime, until we see someone come in to fill that void, what effect are these declines going to have going forward, Chris? Yeah, so we're going to continue to see pressure on startups and technology companies, and, and we're seeing it now with a number of companies beginning to lay off employees and, and cut non-critical spending to extend their cash runways. Again, to kind of get them to a point where when the market does improve, they're going to be able to raise new capital at hopefully a higher value or maybe at a flat value to the last round. VCs are going to have to make really hard decisions to focus on their very best companies, but most likely we'll have to let some of those companies go. And that's a national perspective, but when you turn your gaze in here to Wisconsin, are we seeing the same trends here? Yeah, again, unfortunately, you know, Wisconsin's not immune from what's going on more broadly throughout venture. Venture capital funding for Wisconsin startups did decline in the first quarter compared with the same period in 2021 and 2022. That said, other than those two periods, which were pretty frothy periods, VC funding in, in Wisconsin startups actually had a, a pretty good first quarter than any other quarter besides those two years since 2014. Wisconsin companies raised about $110 million across 21 venture capital deals in the first quarter compared to roughly $300 million in 2021 and 2022. And again, those were pretty frothy periods in venture, so that's not really a normal trend. So I, I think generally speaking, the longer term trend for Wisconsin venture activity is strong and bright. And why is that? Why do you think the longer term trend is bright for Wisconsin venture activity? Yeah, if, you know, a few things. So generally speaking, dollars raised and in the dollars invested continues to increase year in and year out. Good companies are able to raise money and the round sizes are increasing, which that's a great thing. The other positive we have here in Wisconsin, is I, and I said this before, is we have quality entrepreneurs great technical talent that are loyal to their companies, great academic institution with a lot of R&D funding coming into those academic institutions to develop new technologies, lower cost to operate a business versus the coasts, lower valuations. And, and again, now venture capitalists are more comfortable to invest remotely by leveraging their local network. And this helps bring capital to areas like Wisconsin. Let's turn our attention to the private debt portfolio that you oversee. What did you see happen in 2022 with private debt? Yeah, so again, you know, we've been investing in, in private debt for five, six decades now. And over the past few years, we've definitely seen an increase in others moving into private debt, private credit funds, private business development corporations, pensions are all seeking out opportunities to invest in private debt. And, you know, with rates so low over the past number of years, investors were looking to pick up some additional returns and they were able to get that additional return through private debt. Last year, a real strong fourth quarter push resulted in the third consecutive year of private debt funds raising over $200 billion. And while that was strong, it's still down from 2021 by about 20%. And what happened there was new investors kind of came in to help kind of pick up that gap. And that was really BDCs and hedge funds that, that came in to fill the gap. 
what we saw last year also was larger funds continue to, to benefit in their fundraise process as they have more experienced managers and they're seeing the great tailwinds. And that has to do with investors wanting managers to have a little bit more experience, especially through credit cycles. So, you know, as a senior investment manager, you've been through a, probably a few credit cycles and know how to, to manage a portfolio when things get a little bit choppy. And, and we do think that uh, either we're in a credit crunch now or we'll be getting into a credit crunch here sometime in the near term, especially with banks pulling back on a lot of their lending. And then in terms of the private debt space, direct lending continues to be the dominant private debt substrategy, and it's, it's been increasing over the last 15 years, growing from a small part, kind of niche little business to almost half of the dollars that are raised annually. And then the amount of dollars that are available from these funds, which we call dry powder, has declined to the, its lowest levels in four years. So there's definitely a lot of demand for companies wanting to access private debt. And what about so far this year, Chris? Are those trends continuing as well? Yeah, still early, but uh, but I do expect to, to, that these private debt trends will will continue, especially after what we've been witnessing with some of the bank failures um, and some of the, the regional bank concerns. We do think that credit will continue to tighten up. I expect that the banks are going to be less willing to lend money. That's a general statement, but that's kind of what we're seeing. Banks are probably not going to lend as much as, as they have been over the past couple of years. And, you know, we go through these cycles periodically, and it's during these times where like non-traditional lenders, like a SWIB, will be able to step in and fill a void to lend money to strong businesses. We're not going to change our underwriting standards, but, you know, these types of environments where capital is scarce can lead to very compelling risk-adjusted return opportunities. So that's a good overview that you've laid out for us there. But I've got to ask, how have some of these challenges in venture capital and private debt impacted the goals that you have for those portfolios? And have you and your team had to make adjustments to the investment strategies? Yeah, that's a a great question. So our primary goal hasn't changed. Um, In good markets or bad, our main goal is to generate the best risk-adjusted returns we can that allows us to fund the retirement benefits of our beneficiaries. It's really at the core of how we look at the investment opportunities in different environments and how we apply our underwriting screens. Good underwriting and governance is core to what we do and helps us really stay on point in good times and bad. You know, in addition, we are very fortunate to have a fully funded Wisconsin retirement system. Our funding status gives us a great advantage in the market of investing for the long term and not having to make like short term drastic decisions to sell assets to raise liquidity. We don't have to really worry about that. And having liquidity in challenging markets allows us to invest and take advantage of investment opportunities while others, whether it's our peers, endowments, or foundations, are exiting because they don't have the capital put to work. So having this flexibility, we were able to take advantage of for sellers. So whether they're selling loans or funds, companies, and we're able to buy these on the secondary market at pretty deep discounts, and it helps us generate long, attractive investment returns. So, Chris, a lot of what we're hearing in the news right now is, will it happen or won't it happen? If the U.S. were to officially enter a recession, what impact would that have on your portfolios and on the venture capital and private debt ecosystems in general? So, soft landing or hard landing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the the trillion-dollar question. So, generally, I think investors believe we either are in a recession right now or will be entering a recession. And if it's a shallow recession or a soft landing recession, you know, we'll see some additional pressures in both the the debt portfolio 
as well as the venture capital portfolio. You know, a recession, there's most likely going to be some rate cuts, which will help our debt portfolio. It would also help our venture portfolio. But, you know, at the margin, any recession isn't going to help out the portfolio unless you're focused on special situations. It's going to take some time to, to work through. Chris, this has been a great discussion. Thank you again for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. And thank you to all our listeners for checking out this episode of the SWIB Podcast. The SWIB Podcast is brought to you by the State of Wisconsin Investment Board and produced by PodCamp Media. Branded podcast production for businesses, podcampmedia.com. Our editor is Will Henry. Thanks again for listening. I'm Chris Preisler. And I'm Dusty Weiss.